0: From one individual to another. We're gonna we're gonna just go all through first and second Timothy and probably Titus because they're usually hooked together and called by the wonderful name the pastoral letters. Pastoral letters. Let me open this up with a prayer. Let us pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the goodness of your presence with us. How sweet you are. We confess we want to be better Christians. We want to be stronger. We want to learn how to fight a good fight. For well, we will need you for these things. But, but we are so thankful for this ministry that allows us to come together in this sweet way. No pressure on anybody. Just the joy. Of sitting together. And opening God's word. We are truly thankful. For such a blessing. Find some service for us to do today. And whisper in our ears. And by your grace. We will accomplish your task. In Jesus name. Amen. Well as we. Start this little study together. I think what I will do is I will go ahead and read the text for you. Just read it. And we're going to read uh, from the living Bible again primarily because it's so easy to understand. We don't want to study ourselves stupid. (laughs) I read something about don't study yourself stupid. That is, you can overdo this. It's possible to do that, you know. Overdoing most anything, this included. It's better to learn how to touch the deck with your landing gear. Uh, go around and come back and try it again several times. But this is a, a wonderful little word here. It concludes the first chapter. It hammers home what I think Paul is, is after here. Verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. Going on through the end. Of the chapter. Now, Timothy, my son, here is my command to you. Fight well in the Lord's battles. Just as the Lord told us through his prophets that you would. Cling tightly to your faith in Christ. Always keep your conscience clear doing what you know is right. For some people have disobeyed their consciences and have deliberately done what they knew was wrong. It isn't surprising that soon they lost their faith in Christ after defying God like that. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples of this. I had to give them over to Satan to punish them until they would learn not to bring shame on the name of Christ. Boom. That's the end of the story right there. So as we move into chapter 2 from chapter 1 Paul has given Timothy what he wants him to do in just a nutshell, what he wants him to do. And then he gives two examples of two individuals who have messed up everything by doing what they weren't supposed to do. They knew better when they did it, but they did it anyway. There's Amonius and Alexander. Amonius will appear again in 2 Timothy as a fugitive from... The creeds of the Lord. So it's a wonderful text and just two, two things we gotta do. Just two, two, two things. It's two wheels on this thing, like a tumble cart. (laughs) That's the trouble with a tumble cart. You'll tumble. But you've got two, two wheels. One wheel is what Paul wants Timothy to do. The other is what happens when you, when you, when you don't do it. When you do something different. So we're going to look at the first thing here. We're going to look a little bit at one and two. And then try to get some, some sort of findings from it. If we can call them that. Findings. He's called a pastor for a reason. See for the way it sounds. Is that Paul is trying to teach somebody how to pastor. Now it's good if you do that, but it's nice if you have done it before you start doing. It. <laughs> Paul did some of that. But mostly Paul was a traveling evangelist. He 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 was on the road. He stayed in some places for a very good while, and he may have pastored to that extent, but he got away with moving. Kind of like we Methodist preachers do. We we love that text, I think it's in Luke, where Jesus says, if they persecute you in one town, flee to another. <laughs> we do it all the time. Methodist preachers do it all the time. If we get hard bent in one place, well, we're going goodbye. go on goodbye. We're going get, to get the moving truck to come. And that's not a bad thing because we have one coming right behind us. It's not, it's not like we're abandoning anybody, but uh, moving around is prevents real hard, sometimes necessary pastoral care that the pastor has to give in the face of problems. He can't run from them. He or she can't get somebody to just come behind them and clean up the mess. No, they got to do it themselves. And this is what the situation that Timothy finds himself in. John Wesley said, well, if you're going to pastor, you go to the people. And you live among them. And go there where they live. Live right beside them. And then. After living there a while. Go from house to house. And visit with them. That was his idea. It It was. That was how he perceived pastoring to be. Was on foot. Boots on the ground. Sort of thing. No matter how big the church was. No matter how smart you thought you were. Your job was. Specifically, live among them, love them, and visit them from house to house. Not stay all day, just visit, just visit, over, 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 every house around. That was his style. His style was effective, too. What is Timothy to do? He is to fight the good fight, it says there. I've said before on this program that that when I went into the ministry, one of the first books I ever got was The Art of War. Well, it wasn't that Chinese fellow. I, I don't know what his name is, but but uh, he wrote a book called Art of War. But, but I, I read the old British one that uh, talks about how you must endure servanthood and hardship and danger. The Christian life, particularly if you're going to be a pastor, is not a playground. It's a battleground. I didn't say that. Warren Wearsby said that wonderful old scholar. He's dead now. But Warren Wearsby was a wonderful commentator on pastoring and pastoring pastors. But uh he makes it clear that you're gonna have a struggle. Uh you can't just find that being a pastor is easy. It's quite hard because of this reason. You have to Sometimes love people who don't love you, ain't gonna love you, uh, but you gotta love them. Even though you wish you couldn't, but you got to. Because you're under a command to do it. And this is what you can hear. My son, I charge you. He said, the word charge there is a significant word. The word charge means that they have this on them. It's, uh, Methodist preachers were were given a charge a lot of times. Not just one church, but two or three. And then you get, that was your charge. Your charge was your calling. If I were to put a title on this text today, I would put it, I would put that on there. The call of our life. We all have a call, whether we're a pastor or not. But we can learn from this letter that God has certain things He wants us to do. Because in a very real sense, we're all pastors. We all have somebody to shepherd. Somebody to take care of. We all have to get off the playground sometimes. And get on the battleground. In order to keep your faith. That's the second thing that Timothy was to do. Hold possession of his faith. For many years, people rejected these letters because of the discipline behind him you know Paul is very specific about his the discipline that this little church is under and Timothy was infected by that wanted to be and consequently he held his high discipline and, and that word is very very important word that we don't think about too much but um, behind this text is as a disciplinarian and it's Paul of course but behind that is Timothy. And we're getting instructions as to how it is we ought to live our life. I mean, you know, some, in one place, Paul is going to tell them, tell them say, uh, women ought to keep quiet in church. You understand? Know Don't say nothing. And now, <laughs> if, if that happened today, we, 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 the church would be ruined. We wouldn't get into fried chicken, not a speck. <laughs> not only that, <laughs> but we wouldn't communicate with one another. We'd be the saddest bunch of men that ever was because women get things done, get it moving. I learned in seminary, if you want to get something done, put a woman on it. And I'm like, God, I had a, a board of trustees one time. It was all men. They weren't doing anything. They'd get together and have a meeting and just, uh, you know, fuss at one another. So I put, you know, what I did. I put I put the first woman on that committee that had ever been on there in the history of that church all the way back to Frances Asbury. You know what she did? She got them moving. That's what she did. Do you don't want to forget, uh, Margaret Thatcher? What? They put her on the, in <laughs> there with all them British bulldogs and she got them moving. She got a This is what I'm telling you. That discipline about women keeping quiet in church at some point got changed. Okay. <laughs> and that was a good thing. Thing about a discipline is it's a working document. Let me run not by you again. A discipline is a working document. That is, we can monkey with it. We can mess with it because its nature is that way. As we learn things, as we develop things, we learn and we change our discipline. Behind this text is a strong, strong discipline about standing your ground and fighting battles. Just as the Lord told us through the prophets that you would, he says. Cling tightly to your faith. Keep it. Hold it. Hold it. How do you do that? That's a question. To, well, how do you keep your faith? Well, you figure out what your faith is. Faith is trusting in God. Trust in God. And so what you do is you put your trust in God. You hold on for that. Now, there are some details that may go along with that that have to do with uh, the emphasis of, of the discipline. But these letters have, have a strong d- disciplinarian behind them who has a social principles that are different in a lot of ways. They have changed to some degree. Basically the same, but have changed in some degree. But that faith is to be held on to and kept. Finally, this young man is to maintain a clear conscience. Uh, one of the things that will crush you in the church quicker than anything is to have a, a foggy consciousness about what you're doing, who you're doing it for, why you're doing it. Uh, a clear conscience is a, a crystal, wonderful mind like Jesus had. You know, it's a mind clear of, of all the stumbling blocks that. We put in our mind, like, what about a ministry we decide we want to do? How much is it going to cost? Who's going to do it? When are they going to do it? All of these things come together to sort of make you do nothing but worry yourself to death. You can't lead a bunch of people unless you have a clear conscience. And that is really hard to maintain because quite often, we're in the midst of every kind of argument you can find. Somebody either wants to blame us or shame us. So we got this thing hitting the, hitting the ground all the time. And what we've got to do is rise above that. On the angel wings of Jesus. And, and indeed the, some philosophers are right. They say, you look, at the, you can't see the forest for the trees. As this viewed down in the jungle... All the time. You're not going to see nothing but leaves and sticks and gravel. And, but if you get up about 500 feet and look around, oh, you can see the forest. You can see it in, again, what you're trying to do. That takes prayer. That takes time off, too, by the way, for you, for you pastors that might be listening to me. Sometimes you got to get out and dodge. What do you really do? And, and, and take it easy. I don't care what you're doing for Jesus, see, cause the devil's back there. Devil's back there. You need to communicate with other people like you. Pastors need each other. Somebody to talk to. To get their conscience clear. Just, just have it out. Have it out. And, and, and find somebody that you love. To do it. I drove Hundred, hundred more, oh, more than hundred miles yesterday just to spend lunch, have lunch with a with a pastor that I love, and neither one of us are doing anything, but, but but we just need one another, just need one another at some time, and we reminisce, we go and drive around our old battlegrounds. That's what we did. We went to one of the one of the old man's old battlegrounds and, and we looked it over. And from 500 feet down, looking on it, it was nothing, nothing, just a small backwater little place, nothing to it. And everything had changed right where the church was. Somebody had built a great big old (laughs) 7-Eleven. I mean, all that was gone, all gone, all gone. And we needed to face the fact that it's all gone, all gone. Well, you may have some things you need to face too, but what has about this second wheel? If the first wheel is fighting the good fight, the second wheel is what happens when you don't. False teachers come in. False teachers and and and, 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 and they're shipwrecked. Shipwreck is a word used in there about these Harmonus and Alexander. Yeah, it says bring shame on the on the church and shipwreck it. Paul had to give up on those two. Sometimes you got to give up on something. And that is to say, you turn them over to the Lord, is probably the way we would want to think of it today. But that wasn't what Paul said. If Paul, in this Bible, you ought to remember what the Bible said let them go. Turn loose of them. Turn loose. I like this Dr. Laura. You know, she gets on the radio and gives uh, self help <laughs> advice to people that call in. Most of the time, What Doctor Laura says is the problem. Is you gotta quit beating it to death, let it go, let it go. You know, my mother don't love me the way she loves my sister. Let it go, she says, over and over. (laughs) That radio telephone, and and it brings their conscience clearer. So Paul, though, he had to give up. Now the church sometimes will give up on you. I'm sorry to tell you this, if you don't know it, is formally called excommunication. They'll throw you out. It don't happen too often in our Protestant churches because we, well, we like to think we've got more grace. It don't happen very often in in high uh, uh, Catholic churches either, Roman, Orthodox, whatever. You don't get excommunicated too often, but you can be. You can be. They'll take communion from you throw you right out. If you act bad, bad enough. To 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 really motivate them, and this how many years in Alexandria had done that. Sometimes, as a pastor in a, in a church, you got to give up on some people, quit worrying about them and trying to fix them. You just can't do it. It's not gonna it's not gonna do you any good. You got to quit it. You got to quit it. I had a man one time that that, that uh, was fussing at me for something, and I just I just had to give up on him. I did. I remember one the day when I, I left his house in my car. I thought to myself, I'm not coming back here. I'm done. I'm done. Now, Lord, it, I want you to send somebody else, but I'm done. And I did. And I left. And I'm saying to you that when I got to myself, I said, well, well that went well today. <laughs> so much for your pastoral visits. <laughs> that went well. But the thing, the fact is, I didn't excommunicate anybody, but I just knew that in my heart, I had done all I could do. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to this Timothy. Turn them loose. Let them go. Until they could learn not to bring shame on the name of Christ. Well, there's some guessing going on here, but they think they're false teachers. They think they're false teachers. They're. They're, they're teaching that there isn't, isn't a real resurrection uh, in store for you and me. And they, they don't know what it exactly it was that they falsely believed, but it was off track from what the group was supposed to believe. And and this this supposing to believe, you have to say, well, what, did the, what was that? Well, they were in the process. Of getting together a sense of what their creed was. You, you know, you go to church sometimes, and you they'll have the Apostles' Creed, and y'all stand up there and you go, "I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, born of conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of virgin Mary, You know what I'm talking about? That's the Apostles' Creed. Seems like it goes on and on and on. It's usually in the hymnal, but if you look around yourself while that's going on, look around yourself. Look behind, look in front of you. You're gonna see some one or two or three or four uh, uh, older people holding that hymnal to their chest and saying that Apostles' Creed from memory. See, because if you get out of line with that creed, they're gonna want nobody, and they're gonna watch that preacher and see if he says what that creed says. He says what that creed says. He's on the up and up. In fact, in fact, the Presbyterian preachers used to be told, uh, I understand, when they went to a new parish, that they would, uh, one of the first things they should do would be get everybody to stand up and say the Apostles' Creed. And the pastor would look about the room, look about the congregation, and see those who knew it, or those who were reading it, or those who were guessing at it. And he could tell, you know, what kind of shape the former pastor had left that church in they don't know the Apostles' Creed, they don't know nothing. I mean, <laughs> they, might, they might be good people, but that Apostles' Creed is important. Now, this is where Harmonius and Alexander got out of the line. Somehow they had broken the connection between whatever the creed was that this early church had, and I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, these two got out of it, got got away from it. And got teaching something that was wrong and and that can happen that can happen teach something that's wrong, and when he did, oh that was the end of that end of story out of out on the ear, so to speak, but let's not study ourselves stupid this morning and it's raining here in Virginia this is a text where it's kind of like uh kind of like they say philosophy is is a blind man in a dark room chasing a black cat that doesn't exist. (laughs) A theologian is somebody who who is a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat and finds him. (laughs) Well I hope you found the black cat this this morning and learned to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. I wanna just give you a fighting song fighting song here from the hymnal. John Wesley, a charge to keep I have, he says, a God to glorify, a never-dying soul to save, and fit it for the sky, to serve the present age my calling to fulfill. Oh, may it all my power engage to do my master's will. Arm me with jealous care, as in thy sight to live, oh, thy servant Lord, prepare. A strict account to give. Help me to watch and pray. And on thyself rely. Assured if I. My trust betray. I shall forever. Die. Amen. How was that? Charles brother. Well I want to say goodbye to you this morning. Hope you enjoyed being with me thoroughly. I know I did enjoy being with you. And uh, as you study. You remember you got a good fight. You got a got a good fight, good fight to fight. Bless your hearts. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you, and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.